Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is the Slow Poisoner. I come to you from the future with these words of warning. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 90. Woo! This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Attention comic book fans, Lee's Comics of Mountain View, California has closed. But here's the good news. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale for half off. Choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar, scroll down to Sellers, and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I. I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this. This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover, and this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> Get Headquartered, a timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. 
I'm going to get one today. The Warren Kramer book is now being laid out again after a long delay. And I'm still working on my Disney and Mad books and an article about Popeye. Today we feature the first of two-part interview with our guest, the preeminent animation historian Jerry Beck. There is also a video version of the complete interview available on YouTube, so please check it out. And welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 90. Woo! And on the show today, our second video presentation, we have the legendary Jerry Beck. That's me. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I want to get Casper in the picture here. Here we go. Just for you, Mark. <laughs> Just for the Harveyville, Harveyville fun times. All the Harveyville fun, Harveyville fun times that I've had. <laughs> that make any sense anyway. Um, so, as I usually do on every one of these shows, I usually say, tell us a little bit about yourself. And in your case, I know you have a lot of interest, but we'll start off with animation because that's what you're best known for. Uh, how you got interested in animation. Oh, I feel like I've told this story before, and I probably have. So, uh, I hope if there's anybody watching, I hope it's uh, <laughs> not going to bore you again. Um, um, kid, I was a kid, I was in school, I loved comic books, I got into comic books, you know, when I was like, I now realize I got into it later than a lot of other people, like I was eight years old, 1963, I'll give out my dates and years and all that <laughs> stuff, but 63 was the first year I even saw a comic book, and I was eight years old, and I, and, uh, and I loved them, I got into Superman right away, and DC, and uh, Marvel about a year later, but, um, uh, you know, I just love it. And I wanted to draw. I just sort of the thing I wanted to be an artist and, and draw. I thought that would be a good job. Somehow I had that thought in my mind. And, um, uh, you know, and I, so I drew a lot as a kid and I wanted to be a, a cartoonist. And back in those days, everybody forgets this is the 60s and the 70s even. Uh, reading comic books when you were older than a certain age, you were looked at as a pretty silly you know, I won't, I could use worse words. People really looked down at you that, you know, you were like, <laughs> something was wrong with you. If you still not only read comic books, but watched cartoons, because nobody remembers this, but 1968, nine, seventies, it was, uh, unless, you know, and I heard Danny Fingeroth on one of your previous podcasts talk about going to the 1970 Comic-Con uh, in 1968, when I was 13, I went to uh, the first Phil Suling Comic-Con. I happened to be lucky enough to live in New York City, and in Queens in my case. And, uh, uh, you know, I, my grandmother found an article about this comic book convention that was going on. And she was reading the Saturday newspaper. And I was reading it like, what's the, you know, and I, the next day uh, uh, on Sunday, you know, with a few dollars in my pocket, I went to this Statler Hilton and Manhattan and I remember the elevator door opening and I seeing seeing a dealer's room and seeing boxes of old comic books and fanzines and things and I'm like holy shit I mean at 13 I found my world my world this is my universe and um, I still wanted to be a comic book artist but uh, in the next few years uh, going to high school getting fanzines is the only thing that kept me alive I, you know, uh, those are my lifeline. We didn't have the internet back then. You know, we didn't, you know, it was a different world. Um, and uh, so I, I, I wanted to be, uh, I, I started watching cartoons when I came home from school. Bugs Bunny and Casper were on in New York back to back. Casper at, I think, 3 or 3.30 and Bugs Bunny at 3.30 or 4 or something like that. And 
I watched those things while I was working. I was watching. I couldn't believe, I, I couldn't imagine. How do you take something that's drawing and have it move and talk? It just was an unimaginable thing. I got into figuring that out. I also began to realize in my teenage years that the the uh, animation was funny, at least in the case of the Warner Brothers cartoons. I thought they were really, really funny, and I was beginning to get all the jokes I never got before when I watched these. Yeah. So I got really interested in the cartoons, and, and, and the thing is, back then, this is the mid-70s, early 70s, early 70s, there were no books. There was no books. There was no internet. There was nowhere to go to learn what was the name of that cartoon I just saw. You know, how many were there? Who directed these? Who, who made them? There was nowhere to go. The closest thing was Mike Barrier with Funny World. Funny World. I didn't even know about that. So. Funny World came out in, well, the famous, uh, he started doing those in the 60s. I didn't know about this then, but the, in, in a part of Kappa Alpha. And then yep. the 12th issue, which I think was 1970, uh, was the famous Bob Clinton. He, he, he instantly went from a crummy mimeographed fanzine to a professional typeset, beautiful magazine yeah. called Funny World. And uh, that, was, that alone was something to be in awe of. I remember I was at a creation convention in 1972, I think it was. Could have been three, 73. Might have been 72. And somebody was selling the, I think it was the 13th issue, which is the one that has Chuck Jones, big interview with Chuck Jones, and there's a Carl Stalling interview in it. Yep. And, and, and the magazine cover says, or on the back cover, or something. it says, interview with Chuck Jones, Carl Stalling. And it's a professional-looking magazine. And I kept thinking, there's a magazine that has interviews with Carl Stalling. Who in the world knows who that is? <laughs> unless you're watching these cartoons. Anyway, I bought that thinking there's a world out there that is into this. And, um, but it was really just Mike Barrier and the few people who read <laughs> Funny World. And most of those people were reading it because he was interviewing, talking about Carl, Carl Barks and stuff like that. And I, I, I ate that up completely. And I was a little bit of a minor pen pal with him, but not quite. But anyway, I got into uh, the history of animation. I started going to um, School of Visual Arts in New York. I wanted to be an animator uh, after high school. And uh, the problem is in the mid seventies, as we know, <laughs> That was the nadir, if that's the right word. Is nadir the right word? Yeah, I think it's the yeah, opposite. Yeah. What's the opposite of nadir, though? It's the, uh, the bottom. The bottom. Nadir's the nadir. bottom, yeah. The peak is the other, whatever. Okay, nadir. nadir the climax. Then that's the or the, no, nadir the is summit. the word. Nadir, yeah, is, nadir is, the is the bottom, yeah. Okay, it's the nadir. I had the right word in the first place. Yes. The <laughs> nadir. Nadir, it's the nadir of the animation universe. I mean, except for the Patty Freeling, except for, <laughs> I mean, really, even, even uh, you know, Walter Lance had given up. I mean, there was no animation happening. Disney was still making stuff like the Aristocats and Robin Hood, which I think were the worst or some of the worst of the Disney animated. That's me. Oh. Um, I, I, uh, uh, the, the, Hanna-Barbera had started farming out animation to, to, you know, to Australia and, and Japan and whatever. So the thing is, animation looked awful. That was on Saturday morning. The new, the new theatricals that were being made were bad. Um, the only highlight, if you want to call it that, was Ralph Bakshi and Fritz the Cat you know, and heavy, heavy <laughs> traffic. That, there was really not much going on in the animation universe. And Disney, Walt Disney had died. There was no leader for animation. Yeah. So it was just an unusual period. And, and to get a job in animation, which I was trying to do, was an impossibility because the people from the golden age were still around. Maybe they were in their 50s and 60s or so. They were still working. Right. 
And I was in New York. And I was in New York. And weirdly enough, there was a big animation industry in New York, as well as in LA, of course. But there was still a, a thriving somewhat. Thriving is not the right word. But uh, uh, there was a, still a lot of animation studios like Xander. And there was a bunch of them. And they made commercials like, I still remember the Freakies. You remember that cereal, the Freakies? Oh, yeah, yeah. We are the freak. That was that commercial was made in New York. Xander animation I parlor. I remember when that commercial came on, like it blew my mind. It's like, whoa, Phil animation. That was like, it was fantastic looking, yeah. you know? So um, things like that. So I, but to get a job working, you had to be amazingly good. And, and even those people had a hard time getting a job. The um, I'm, I know I'm digressing, but I'll quickly, I'll end with this. Uh, at that point, um, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I be actually became friends with Eric Goldberg and uh, Tom Cito. They were actually in either in class with me or Eric was kind of floating around and they were just, it's, but they were both great animators. And Dan Haskett is working on the Looney Tunes cartoons right now. One of the best animators ever in the business, whether you know his <laughs> name or not, is amazing. Guy's been around. For, these people were fantastic. They were young then, but, and they couldn't get a job. It was very, wow. very difficult to get in. And I couldn't draw anything like these guys. Yeah. So I sort of had a, this big epiphany with myself, which was, um, I can't get into the field I'm interested in. Um, I wasn't sure what to do. And I decided to do two things. One was, there was no books on animation history. There was nothing, no research, nothing going on. So this is now I'm getting to answering your question. Um, <laughs> so this is around 1974. Yeah, definitely. That was 73, 74, around that period. And I, and I, uh, there was, I thought I'm going to research it. I mean, just on the side. And meanwhile, I had a fluky, lucky, wonderful situation where um, I was able, I was working, I started getting a job. I worked in Wall Street and I was doing junk. I couldn't wow. tell less about it. Was, I was just doing a job. It was just a job to pay the rent kind of a thing when I was young. And I, um, I uh, uh, found out I was I was working like in the what they called the computer room because people didn't have computers on their desks back in the seventies. Right, but we right, did have right. a big, massive computer floor. In most most big companies did, and they would generate reports. And then and then I was just a clerk. I worked in the computer room. I fed I fed the cards to the machine. <laughs> I did I would hand the reports to the executives. I did stuff like that. But that led me to getting a similar job like that with United Artists. United Artists amazingly was located in New York, not LA. And they, they had a whole building, 729 7th Avenue. I later found out that that was, that was where uh, the Van Buren studios were back oh, in the wow. 30s. And across the street was 1600 Broadway, which is where Fleischer was yeah. uh, back <laughs> in the 30s. And so that was kind of cool. And I, I ended up, so I got this great job at United Artists in the computer room first. But that led me to, they had luckily job openings in other departments and I had to get out of that. And I ended up in the 16 millimeter department, which was a department that rented uh, films to, you know, schools and hospitals and prisons and things like that. But it was <laughs> a great place for me to be for a variety of reasons, which I may or may not go into or get into <laughs> there. But that's, that's how I, 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 I had an epiphany. I had to figure out what I was gonna do for a living in this world. And uh, so I got this job at a movie dis distribution place, and which led to a lot of things in my life uh, later. But meanwhile, um, there was a class going on, unbelievably, 
at, uh, at the New School, the famous New School for Social Research in Manhattan. And Leonard Maltin, who was pretty much unknown, although he had written the, the great movie shorts and uh, the Disney films, those two books, yeah. and, and others, actually. He had a fanzine, didn't he? Like, yes, Film Fan Monthly. monthly. Yeah. And yeah. He, he was, and I was a big, oh, I, was, I, I was like a fan of his. I had gotten the Disney films that just come out, and I was like, oh, my God, this book is great because it had a lot of information about the Disney films and shorts and stuff, and I would love to meet this guy. And unbelievably, he was teaching a class at the new school on the history of animation. I said, oh, my God, I have to meet <laughs> this guy. I have to go there. Turned out to be a four-credit class meaning you had to be enrolled into this university to take it Hmm. um and but amazingly they allowed you a person from the outside to just take the class you just had to pay the tuition to to sit in it was like it was like 200 bucks i mean which you gotta understand 200 bucks is like saying a thousand bucks today or more even you know it was it was it was a lot of money and i i crazily did it I did it because I wanted to meet this guy and I wanted to hear what he had to say. And I wanted to see, I said, this is a thing I have to see. You have to remember again, there was nothing like this. Right. And there was like less than 10 people in the class. It was very small. And I still, I went to this day, I have on my shelf, I have the copy of the Disney films. I brought it with me and I got him to autograph it. And he, uh, and he saw, and he dated it. So I have the actual date that we met you know, written in a book. And, um, and we became friends, like immediately, we became friends. And, and so uh, he kept doing this class. And it's, that's a whole other story I won't go into here. But we ultimately uh, worked on Of Mice and Magic, you know, the book, the famous, infamous, I got two copies of it. Two of them, you got the hardcover? hardcover. I love that. That's the revised paperback, actually. <laughs> that is the revised paperback. Yeah. Yeah. We, were, we I actually were, had the original paperback. That's the one that I got in 1980 that, like, the corner is ripped off and the back is split oh, and I, everything because I looked at that voraciously still, for years. Yeah. Yeah. That's why mine was. Yeah. Almost. Completely yeah. So I, the revised version is actually quite nice. You know, I, I haven't dinged it up too much because I actually look at hardback <laughs> more often. But. Uh, so you said a lot of stuff. And I wrote down a few things, and so all I'm right, going to yeah. ask you a few things. So yeah, and I do this all the time. I backtrack, and you know, I, I need you to do this so that yeah. someday, when somebody wants to know about my life, they can come to there this. There it podcast. is. There's the intro. It took ten minutes, but that's fine. <laughs> anyway, okay. The amazing thing is your story is very similar to mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, although, uh, <laughs> you got to flash forward about ten years. I wanted to be a cartoonist. I wanted to be an animator. But mm-hmm. then I looked around and I saw the same basically shitty deal. I said, R- Rubik, the amazing cube, is that the best you can come up with? I can't work on this stuff, you know? And it's like Disney was working on the Black Cauldron for 100 years. And I right. said, no, I didn't know they're going to have a resurgence in the late 80s with DuckTales and Simpsons right. and blah, blah, blah. You know, so I kind of lived through our friends like Mike Cazala and Milton Knight. They went through what I could have gone through. But... I'm glad I didn't. In retrospect, I met I met Milton but, in the 1970s at those cannot comic book. That's me and Milton go way back to those yeah. days. Go ahead. Anyway, so um, now you mentioned something on the those early conventions that your grandmother clipped out the ad and said, you know, oh, look, you might be interested in this. My grandmother was the opposite. She was like, "You're 10 years old now. Uh, it's time to give up the comic books, right?" Uh, right. No. You're 11 years old now. It's time to give up the comic books, right? 
right. no. <laughs> if she was alive now, you're 53 now, uh, 54 coming up in December. Uh, get another the comics book. No. <laughs> Oh my, my grandmother, so, I, my grandmother like? I got I got wait, I got interrupt. I'm an interrupter. I'm sorry. I, I my grandmother once uh, came around that same time. She came downstairs. She was cleaning the house. Uh, you know, uh, I was visiting, and she said, "Maybe you'd like these." And the, one of them, I forgot what they what the other one was, but she gave me a copy of like Mad Comics. I forgot what issue. It's the one with the Western cover, that Harvey Kurtzman uh, Western cover. Yeah, but it was nine. one of the com EC comics. I remember looking at it like. What planet did this come from? I didn't know <laughs> Mad that was a, Mad was a comic book, and she just handed it to me. It was literally one of those, you know, found it in the attic things. And I'm wow. like, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. And so, so, was she supportive of all this? I guess, and your my, parents oh, too, yeah, or what? I mean, I mean it's oh like yeah, my grand my grandmother was pretty, uh, you know, uh, you know, unconditional love kind of person. She just sort of like whatever we were into. She was cool. To support it, not. I mean, it wasn't. You know, she just happened to be reading the Daily News, and recently okay. on Facebook or the internet somewhere, somebody, somebody, somebody found the actual. It wasn't an ad. It was a newspaper article about in the Daily News about a comic book convention's being held this weekend, and it was from a Saturday paper, and it mentioned that it was Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I, I somebody recently found it. And I somewhere on my my computer, I you know I. And made a, a screen cap of it because that's the that's the thing that really launched as far as i'm concerned it really launched me into this world i ultimately uh did the movie programs i was i started to collect film like 16 millimeter film and i ultimately uh by 1976 i was doing the film program for phil suling at the convention in new york i was like the film guy and i did that for creation as well in new york anyway. what were the conventions like back then i mean obviously they weren't like San Diego no. is now with thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. I'm, I somehow think you're old enough, and maybe I'm wrong, that you might remember how they were like. Cause they, the earliest they, one I went to is 91. Tell me what year. 91. It was the first year 91, they did it. 91, no, the they were still small in yeah. 91. Yeah, you could get yeah. around. Yeah. 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 90, I mean, I, to me, with, with San Diego, it doesn't begin to get uber crazy till somewhere in the pre previous decade, in the early. I still remember going in whatever year Ghost like World came out. 2006 or something. You know? I, remember, I remember whenever Ghost World came out, which I think was 2002, or I don't know when that was. Yeah. The, 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 I remember walking into the convention on a Thursday. Someone saying, hey, they're giving out free tickets to see Ghost World. Going over, the guy couldn't give them away fast enough. I mean, because nobody cared. <laughs> I got the free ticket. I went over to the theater. I saw the movie. I mean, it was a different world. That was, that was still yeah, in yeah. this, that was the you know, 21st century. That's kind of, that. whatever year that was, that was close to the end. Oh, another year. I'm sorry. I see. I'm digressing. Another year that was close to the end. This shows you how small conventions were, in my mind. Um, as late as 2005, um, I hosted. I. I can't believe. I, I. I look at myself as an unknown fan, but I, Jerry Beck, hosted the Hall H Disney presentation, which was for that. Which they the things that were being shown and the people coming out were represented cars. Cars, the first cars, and uh, that what was the name of that? That Sky High, that superhero yeah, yeah. movie. Yeah, and yeah. We had, and I brought out the, the the stars. I was I was the host, Jerry Beck. Oh, so you brought we were, like Kurt you know, Russell and stuff. Yeah. That and that yeah. <laughs> after that year, somebody like me would never be the host in there again. It was always celebrities, or you know, you had to be a famous yeah. writer or something. Yeah. But it was. But up until that point, um, 
the, Hollywood hadn't completely, completely embraced the con yet, but right at 2005 is sort of the yeah, end. Yeah, that's probably about so, it, yeah. So that, so that, but, but what was it like? It was, weirdly Yeah, way enough, back in the early 70s, I mean, because you said it was kind of looked down upon. It was when, better when, when I was a kid, but not much. No, <laughs> no, in New York City, in New York City, okay, this is how I remember the, the first conventions of the late 60s and early 70s. There's the Penn, Pennsylvania Hotel in New York City. It's right across the street from... Uh, uh, Grand, no, not Grand Central, uh, Pennsylvania Station and Madison Square Garden on, on 8th Avenue, you know, 8th Avenue and like 34th Street or something, 32nd Street. And it's, you go into this hotel and people are doing their things, a big hotel. You go to the elevator bank because uh, it's on the 18th floor. You go all the way up. People are looking at you weird. You get up to the 18th floor. The doors open. You don't see anything. There's no posters. And you walk through them, glass doors. There was, a, there was a room that had the panels straight ahead, no signs, no artwork, no posters, no fans hanging out in costume. It was nothing. And, and, then, and then the other way, you'd go in and there'd be what we'd call the dealer's room. And then you'd finally see old movie posters, just like today, old movie posters yeah. and uh, lots of comic racks, very similar to what you'd see at Lee's Comics or whatever. I mean, the, the okay, so like a, it'd be like a small show today. Yes, it would be like a small show, but the, but the thing is, back in those days, there was no show. So the thing is, it was pretty amazing. It was, it looked, and it looked big to me, and I think us. Even if there was only, and I found out later, 300, 400, 500 people, which sounds like nothing. It was 300, 400, 500 people who cared about the same stuff you did, and they were all there. By the way, another thing about the old conventions that was really cool was this lasted for a long time. I think it's ended now. But... It's, it, it probably ended, in the, again, in the last 20 years. But there was a thing about the, in the old days where there was like this universal, like there was an assumption that everybody cared about all of this stuff. And in my mind, they, I, they were right. You, if you liked comics, you liked Carl Barks and Little Lulu and Superman and Kirby and Marvel and, 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 and Warren and whatever else was going on. And, the, and you liked the Golden Age like, and Captain Marvel and all this stuff. It was like, it was like assumed that you liked that you were into it all, and you know what? You kind of got taken in by it, and you you were you able to work. be in all of it. There wasn't so much that it was overwhelming. I don't think. It seemed to me that everybody was into all of it because it all was part of the same world, a world that the real world rejected. That's one reason why I, not to go down on that subject. But that's how I got into the original anime, you know, the old anime uh, yeah. from those days, you know, uh, because that was. That was also there were there were a few people who were into that and uh, I listened and I said oh that's interesting and I got into yeah. it too you know it was yeah just, I got into it on the early stuff like Speed Racer yeah. and yeah, Kimba and stuff but no, later on I just kind of said yeah, okay no, yeah. not for me you know no, I agree like, I, I, but that's like everything else it's like you know I, I pay attention to what's going on not as well as you do which is a question I have for later but you know it's like. There's so much you have to pick and choose at this point. You know? Well, so, yeah, t today's yeah. a today's another world. I'm I'm finally turning into that old the old man who who actually I love the way it used to be. It was so it was actually yeah. easy in retrospect. But yeah. um, anyway, go ahead, ask your. Um, uh, so you you and I both wanted to be animators. I realized I did, didn't myself. It didn't think I was as good as. No well, meaning. Anybody else? So was that your same takeaway? Why well, you changed, considering, or you, was it more the industry? <laughs> it was both that there was no work. It was what I said before, and the fact that I was actually friendly with 
Dan Haskett, uh, I'm still friendly with uh, all of these people, and Eric Goldberg, right. he <laughs> drew exactly the way he draws now. Yeah, Eric yeah. Goldberg, Tom Cito, Dan Haskett, I'm probably leaving, Michael Sporn in New York, a million other people, mm -hmm. and I could see what they were doing, and I was nowhere, they were so nice, they still are, but they were, they were, they were really, what, what, what do you draw like, I mean, in your opinion, oh. I mean, like me, I could, on a good day, I could be close to like Sergio Aragonés or something. <laughs> <laughs> you <I> know, know. <laughs> Sergio Aragonés on a subway. Because yeah. I don't think I've ever seen you draw. That's why. It's oh, like, uh, so. let's see if I can. Let's see if I can draw something for people. I'll tell. I'll tell you how I draw. I draw two ways. I, well, I'll I show you my real style, and then I spent years trying to draw Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, so I can draw them. <laughs> Pretty well. Let's see if you can. Okay, I'm just running. Yeah, out. I can see it. Yeah. All right, let's see. I'm going to try something. Oh, you're going to do it that way. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. How else should I do it? I mean, well, I, I, you do it live, I guess. But I mean, you could do it on the. I am doing okay. it live, aren't I? Well, yeah, but I mean, on the table and then lift it up. But okay. Oh well. If it's easier for you. <laughs> but you're doing it. Hey. I'm also somebody who I had the mistaken, and of course you color that in, but. Yeah. You know. Uh, but you know, like you know, like Mark Evanier, I didn't know he could draw, and then he oh, pointed really out, good. "Oh yeah, I can he's draw." Right. Here's a here's a cover I did with the Looney Tunes back in the seventies, and go, oh, yeah, okay. he can actually <laughs> he can actually letter too, which I find. Uh, there's my Daffy. Which, cool. <laughs> I also, and then I I have this other way of drawing, which is my uh, I used to draw comics. It looks just school. like bugs. Yeah, I, I used to draw comics. I draw everything fast and like. I used to think like Kurt Swan and Jack Kirby just did what I'm doing, which is just drew, you know, without having to do any through lines or anything. Right. Um, that's the way I learned too. You know, I thought that's the way they drew the inked George Klein, Joe Sinnott version of their work. I thought was the way they drew. I didn't right. know that it was. So I learned in my mind to draw, you know, just kind of draw um, everything exactly right immediately. Yeah. Uh, kind that's, of. that's how I was. Yeah, you know, it I mean, wasn't that's, until that's the I, way did. I draw, but I, I mean that's that's just that's there you go. Jerry yeah, it wasn't Bates. until I took art instruction school that I learned the proper yeah. way to draw. But right, it's right. still, I you know, my level was like here, and everybody I knew was like, yeah. my hands off the screen. You know, it's like. You know, well, I, also, I, I also had a feeling that back then that I I had this great feeling, especially when I started working for United Artists. I started thinking, you know what animators need because you got to understand it was different then, and animation was so beaten down. I kept thinking, you know what animators need? They need support in the other areas. They, like, they're not film distributors. They're not you know, this or that. So I'm going to be their friend in another place. That's yeah. something I had in my head. I, um, and I've, able, I've been able to do that throughout the years. Yeah. When I was involved with Animation Magazine or, uh, or all the, many of the things that I've done, it's, it's like I'm doing something that the animator themselves can't do. I'm, try, I'm helping them do it. That, that's... Now, Part of what I'm, my whole life career thing has been. <laughs> now, how did you become a writer? Because I mean, uh -huh. uh, let me interrupt before you say it. Uh, okay. In my in my mind, I never thought I would write anything because <laughs> in high school, I hated writing. I couldn't stand it, and I realized because they made us write about books I didn't care about reading or writing about and mm -hmm. oh, other creative writing thing like write about this cup, and it's like I don't want to write about that cup, you know. So, you know, nowadays, if they say, yeah, write about Casper, sure, blah, 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 you know, it's like, <laughs> so did you have the same epiphany like that? Yeah, well, no, not that. I, I, it's, it was, part of it was out of necessity. It's like, 
it's like I wanted to, uh, uh, I, my first article that was ever printed was not in Mind Rot, although I, around that same time I was, I was beginning to do columns. I did little columns in Mind Rot, but I, uh, my first actual thing, if anybody wants to find it, was in RBCC, Rocket Blast Comic Collector <laughs> at Fanzine. And Don Rosa, not Don Rosa, he was part of it, but uh, James Van Hise was the oh. editor. And, uh, and they were doing an animation issue, I had heard, and I wrote an article about puppet tunes. And that's, wow. I think that came out in 78 or so, okay. I think. Actually, I probably was writing for uh, Mind Rot before that. But, um, but that's like my first like, article that I wrote anywhere. And then I was involved with... Uh, with Leonard, and then I got involved with. Uh, then I started doing some books. The the being involved with Leonard Malton was for me and my college education on writing. Actually, uh, I saw literally how he wrote. And I watched literally him write, and I literally was in the room with him composing sentences. So I I got to learn, and I and then reading his books over and over again, I developed what I call my own style. But it's really I'll be deadly honest. I've told it to his face. I said, basically, I'm, you know, I'm doing what you do. I'm doing exactly what you do. I noticed what he does, certain little tricks that he does. Yeah. Like he seems to start the most of his little pieces one way and he ends them another way. And I try to do the same thing when I, yeah. when I write, I, I, I he's my mentor when yeah. that, as far as that's concerned, you know, it's almost like necessity is all, is all I can say. It's like, I, I wanted this to exist in the case of, the famous, um, amongst many books here, let me see, like this, this famous one. Yeah. Um, oh, I have that too. Uh, plus, I obviously did I, I even have the old one too. Look, right, the original one. <laughs> right. We, yeah, we, I do we, have we, the... we wanted those books to exist. They, they, yeah. There was no, nothing like it, and we wanted them to be. So the only thing you can do is to write it yourself. And yeah. so, so that's... Well, that's some of my books too, you know. It's like, yeah. there's no book about Dennis Semenis. I'll write one. There's no book right. about... To Patty Freeling, that uh, besides uh, <laughs> this one, <laughs> oh that one. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote one. <laughs> anyway, we're. I told you. That I was, a book, you know, I, I feel free to ask me questions about any of that stuff. Yeah, you, well, that's also there's answers to all the questions. Yeah, that's all I can yeah. say. There's but uh, well, I, I do have a Malton question since you said Malton. Okay. It, um, I met him once a few years ago when I did my Disney book, and he was very gracious and nice. He always seems like a nice guy when I've seen him on interviews and on Entertainment Tonight and everything he's done for a hundred years. Uh, was he that way behind the scenes and more? I mean, it, it seems like he's pretty genuine. That that's Leonard. You know, I, very I, excited about everything that he does, and he's like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> yeah. uh, no, Leonard. Leonard's the real deal, and I I, yeah. I yeah. feel bad about myself sometimes because I'm not as nice as he is. He he's <laughs> the, he's one of the nicest people ever. I I'm I'm not as nice as him. I'm uh, yeah. you know. Um, I don't know what to say. I, I just, he's, you know, he's the, he's, what you see is what you get there. It's, he's yeah. the real deal, 100%. I mean, um, I think he'd admit, he'd admit to this if you've ever seen him on any early TV appearances and things. He, he was what we would all call later a nerd, you know, way yeah. back when, before that term was ever. Yeah. He was kind of golly all shucks. So yeah. I'm so excited to review right. this. I mean, he, he wore, he wore the suits and had the glasses and sh back then short hair, which, meant you were it was very nerdy you know yeah, and yeah. but um uh and then he, he as you a as he aged and the world changes you know he, it sort of perfectly fit in with 
the rest yeah. of the universe the way the way he is. But, but yeah. the but he's he's no he's what can I say? I mean, he's one of my yeah. best friends. He's a yeah. really really nice yeah. guy. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, you and him were my heroes. That's why you know, everybody who isn't here that would uh, who's read of Mice and Magic would probably say the same thing. I mean, that book was yeah. the godsend book. I mean, prior to that, I mean, you mentioned there was yeah. nothing. Uh, except for an occasional article or something. No, there was. Uh, I can know, tell you. I but, can tell you what. I can tell you what there was. Just for fan, this to be fanish, um, there was um, Joe Adamson's Tex Avery King of Cartoons came true. out, yeah. which Leonard edited. Leonard was yeah. the editor of that. Yeah. And then, um, and our, my good friend Leslie Cabarga did yeah, the, the Fleischer, the Fleischer yeah. story. Yeah. And I think, and and not counting, or or counting the art of Disney by Christopher Finn. Yeah inch that came out those were the three main books that were out before yeah, mice yeah. and magic and also here's another trivial thing the same year and month that of mice and magic came out unbelievably i remember this has actually been forgotten by me i don't know if anybody another book came out um the gerald peary uh the American oh yeah the one was woody, woody woodpecker on the cover yeah that, one? that yeah. yeah that awful drawing that came out like the same week or it's something like, what and i have hell? it too but i didn't yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah that was a weird thing yeah but i and back then you could get all the books i mean uh, well <laughs> for me the the most fascinating thing is when i uh I, I used to look up things in the encyclopedia so i mean it's like but they would have like a a, a panel from nancy yeah, it's something you know, and it's like uh, you look up like Walt Disney, and it's like, yeah, um, I didn't know much about Walt Disney other than I knew he died the day I was born. I said oh, really? this before, oh. yes, the actual day, but um, I, I, I didn't know how long ago the cartoons were made because you know you don't pay attention to that. I didn't, you know, and so it was. I was reading the Encyclopedia Britannica or something. I said, Walt Disney, born 1901, blah, 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 blah. And it says, his first major motion picture feature film animated was Snow White, which came out in 1937. And I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> because my dad was born in 1938 and still right. with us. And I go, this movie's older than him? That's not possible. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. well, like, I thought they were all made like in the 50s or 60s. I didn't think they were made in the 30s yeah. you know and then i found out the same epiphany with like the three stooges they had some show and even my mom pointed out so oh mo howard's gonna be on this show okay who's this old man you know? <laughs> it's like you know i didn't realize how long ago a lot of these things were done that i was I liking feeling, you know? <laughs> i remember feeling that way well with animation it's a little easier because it really doesn't date meaning unless no, and i think that's why it was a bigger shock yeah. you know i that's why i said i thought you know because i i knew snow i saw snow white in 1975 that was the reissue that, right and i i knew it was a reissue but i didn't know i figured eh, it came out probably in like 55 or something 60 whatever right. you know <laughs> i didn't know yeah. dates and it's like no, I, 37 <laughs> no they tried they tried very hard to hide that it's yeah. like i collect the press books you know and yeah. and and, the, and they, like the 19 like say 75 press and they, they make it look like it's a 1975 movie with the ads you know yeah. um uh you know it's it's when I teach, I, now I'm teaching animation history, and I, I actually go out of my way with my PowerPoints to only show my students, in the case of the Disney films, uh, that the original advertising, original posters in 1937, I don't show them any later reissue. I, I'm, I know it's a weird thing. I don't say anything to them about it. I just, we talk about the movie, and I show the poster, and I, because I don't want them to think, I want them to know, I want them actually to think it's an old movie. I want them to think it's old. I want them to think it's a it's 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 some this is what happened 
way, way back when, way before <laughs> any of us were born. And uh, it's true. Even true. my dad. So, you oh, know. No. Uh, next question. <laughs> uh, next question. Okay. So part of the reason, you know, I, I, I said when I emailed you, I said, you know, eventually I was going to ask you to be on the podcast. You know, I just wanted to get uh, a bunch under my belt and get, you know, it's not like you're so special. It's just, that, you know, I <laughs> get all the, the bugs out of the system before, you know. And so anyway, the other day I actually finally got this on Blu-ray. It was the Batman, the movie uh, with Adam West. Oh, and Bert Ward. You're right, on it. I, I yeah. think you're probably on the original DVD, not just this Blu-ray, but I didn't. No, I, no I, I think I'm only on the Blu-ray. I could be. Oh, wrong. okay. So anyway, I said, you're on everything. And it just made me think, and you kind of alluded to it either before the show or during the show, you know, you know, I'm interested in a lot of other stuff than animation, but you know, that's what I'm kind of pigeonholed and everything, you know, the other stuff you're interested in, you can rattle off other stuff you're interested in. I'm probably interested in most of the same stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened in your career or whatever to kind of gear you towards animation more than say working at a comic book company like dc or or working in feature films as maybe a director or something you know just something different because you had these interests you saw batman on tv you were all excited you know you could have followed that path you could have said i'm going to work for dc and draw a batman oh, or whatever you know so i wanted go to ahead. <laughs> i heard you when you were talking to danny i think he alluded to maybe he didn't but but I was actually one of those kids in New York, and I took the famous DC. DC had a tour oh, in wow. their build of their offices in the <laughs> '60s, and I don't know how long that lasted. Maybe into the '70s. But when I was like 13 or something, I took the tour. I also went to Mad Magazine. I also went. <laughs> they didn't have a tour, but they let you walk around. It was the weirdest free. Was this, I met, I met was this on or, Madison or in Third? Madison. Okay. Uh, for, for, no, no, for 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 Madison for Mad. Yeah. And uh, uh, for DC, it was 575 Lexington Avenue. Oh, wow. Before they moved to that third. I've never been to that th when they were. No, third, Mad was on Third Street. Was it? Three, like early 60s or something. No, this was the, uh, what, what was that address? It was like 385 Madison or something like that. It was, I yeah. forgot, it's yeah. in all the books. Yeah. Uh, and, and I even went up to Marvel once, but like everybody says, it's, I famously saw there was a door. You open the door. There was like one office, like, and there was a person, you know, Stan's assistant. I don't think it was Flo Steinberg. And there was literally nothing to see. And they told you there was nothing to see. And so there was, I just left, you know. But I was that kind of a fan that would go visit the offices. But DC had a, an organized tour and they allowed you, I wish I still had this, they allowed <laughs> you to go fish through this garbage, they had a big garbage dumpster full of original art what? they were throwing away. And, but, but it was picked over, I assume, because the piece I had was like a, a Bob Hope page or something. And even then it was like one of those pages that's like only half the page and they would have the, 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 the ad for, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Tootsie Rolls or something. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. So, um, uh, but I had that for years. It was on my wall for years, this, this Bob Hope half a page, you know, that I fished out of the trust. I'm sorry to say I don't have it anymore, but um, uh, the, uh, no, I, I mean, I loved comics and I went up there and I saw Kurt Swan drawing and stuff. Oh, man, I, I mean, I still remember all of this. The, um, I don't know what, what, you know what? Fate just takes you by the hand in a weird way and leads you to what you're going to do. I say this now as an older fellow. Yeah. And I'm looking back now at how, where, what my life was like when I was, yeah. 
those days when I was in my early twenties, late teens, I had no freaking idea what I was going to do for the for a living or where I was going to be when I was aged 45 or, you know, what was I going to be when I was four? I remember I'd say 45 because I figured out early on at 45 is what, how old I'd be in the year 2000. Oh. I wondered if I'd still be alive to see the century change. In the year 2000. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> so I, I always wondered about that. And then finally you, you start doing stuff and, and then you don't think about it. And then when you get older, you start wondering what happened. But the, uh, the you know, um, you're right. It could have gone many different ways. Part of it was because I was in New York and you would think that would lead me to comic books more. But yeah, um, yeah actually you would, wouldn't you? Uh, no. Did you go to Harvey? Did you go to Harvey's office? Never went to Harvey when it was in New York, although I had a friend. <laughs> I had a friend uh, who, uh, who I don't even know if he got a job out of it. I did pitch, me and a friend pitched a, a one page like opening thing to Harvey and it was rejected by Sid. I luckily, as you know, I got to meet and work with Sid yeah, years with later. But um, um, the I was friends with, and I don't know what happened to him, and I've heard some kooky stories if you're out there, Murad, but I was friends with a guy named Murad Guman. You probably oh, okay. know his name. Because Murad, yeah. well, Murad wrote, wrote, did a lot of stories for Crazy. Yeah. And his father was Saruri Guman, who yeah. was, who, who did a lot of uh, artwork for Cracked, right? Uh, well, I interviewed uh, Murad 10 years ago, but that was for the Crack book, but I haven't really talked to him since. What, I mean, what was this probably shouldn't be on the, but was Murad working at Disney in New York or where was, where was he? Uh, Geez, I don't even remember where he was because I was just interested. It I wasn't know, like uh, this. It's not like this where we're just shooting the breeze for an hour. Yeah. It's yeah. like I, I was very direct. I, I said, what did your dad do in Cracked? And I asked a few crazy questions. Because let me, I let me give you my – for crazy. You might enjoy my story here, which is another digression. When I went <laughs> to high school in, in Flushing, Queens, uh, John Bowne High School uh, – I'm the nanny now. <laughs> yeah, no, no, and I, I yeah, I grew up it's one there. of those crushing scenes. Anyway. Yeah, Sorry. exactly. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, I when I went to high school and I was already into comics, but it was like I said, a secret. Nobody, you couldn't tell anybody because they'd think you were nutty, you know. And comic books, cartoons, science fiction movies. People forget that that was part of the mix. If you like si science fiction movies, you were crazy too. So you didn't tell anybody. So I was sitting in a class uh, in, in high school, and I don't know how I was talking to the guy next to me, and somehow I mentioned something. Well, that's like those movies that Ray Harryhausen does, you know. And the guy looked at me like, "You know who Ray Harryhausen is?" I go, "Yeah, yeah. Do you?" I go, I go and like he ended up becoming friends, and that guy was Morad Guman. Wow. And so we became friends, and one day he invited me to his house after school to hang out. And Morad was making home movies and he was also a really good artist, I thought at the time. And, and I went over to his house and he's like, um, I don't know, I don't know how, he, he, somehow he introduced me to where his dad worked in the house. Yeah. Now, when you're a kid in the 60s or early 70s, parents didn't work at home. They went to the office, you know, the classic thing. But mm -hmm. his dad worked at home and had his own home studio. And then I went in it and his dad was a cartoon. I didn't know this. His dad was, he had been the, um, as you may know, the uh, ghost artist for Kerry Drake, the mm -hmm. comic strip. Yeah. And he did everything but the heads, I think. I, I think <laughs> Alfred Andreola did the heads or something. And Sorori Guman was a fantastic artist. Mm -hmm. and, and he was also doing the David Cassidy comic book for Charlton. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if you knew that or not. 
also did uh, I think Horace. I did retrospectively, but not I actually <laughs> think I actually think I'm not a big Charlton fan. It's probably my least favorite student, uh, comic book company, but but the his comics, his the stories he drew were the best. He should have worked for better, you know, comic book companies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I still have, I think, to this day, I think I still have a page of Suri Guman David Cassidy comics. Wait, you have that and you don't have the Bob Hope? Wait, what? Oh, I have that. <laughs> did you and sell it or did you drop that? I, I no, I think, I don't, I don't know what happened to the Bob Hope. But I, it I, seems I, like you keep everything, so that's what I do, anyway. I know. <laughs> I, I also have my one page that, um, if I didn't, if you didn't read about this on the line, you might have read this as I posted about it, but uh, <laughs> at one point, uh, uh, Murad drew me into the Battlestar Galactica parody he did for Crazy Magazine. If you oh, can okay. find the Battlestar Galactica, you'll I'll enjoy this. If I you don't know is... this, if you don't know this, Mark, this will give you a thrill. <laughs> if you find that issue, and I know you've got it. It's number 47. I, I know. I think it's got, I think it's got the Wiz is the parody on the cover. Oh, oh the, well then that's for, 48, but 47 is. I could be wrong. I 47 has Battlestar Galactica on the cover. Or maybe that's, maybe that's okay. the issue. It's the issue is the Battlestar Galactica parody. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I'm saying the whiz. Maybe there's some other reason for that one. But anyway, yeah. the and then read the story. The story is that they meet this crazy collector named Jerry, and and it's it's me. And so it's, it's a character of me oh, without my glasses and, and what I look like and what I looked like back then. Yeah. And he did it totally, and he totally handed it to me. It was a complete surprise <laughs> thing. I mean, it doesn't mention Jerry Beck or whatever. But but if yeah. you he it was me. It, it, the character that it's supposed to be is me. Ridiculous. Hmm. Anyway, and I think I have a page of that somewhere. Oh. Speaking of Charlton, I know you didn't like it, but did you ever go to Charlton? Oh God, I know no, they were, I know they it was a dirty. Yeah, no, they were they were in Connecticut. They were yeah. a little too far for me. Okay, yeah. I drove past where it was about yeah. ten years ago when I was in New York last. But uh, Charlton, Charlton <laughs> fascinates me. I I seem to like so far in buying back issues of things. I like the. I don't even know what year they started, but I like the 50s stuff that they did. I'm not... It's one, 1945. Really? They had, like, one title, like, Zoo Animals or something like that. Oh, and yeah. Slowly added... They were slow in getting titles. Not, like, the way things are now, where everybody has, like, 50 books or something. You know, it's like they, they put, like, one book out every other year, it seemed yeah. like. I mean, <laughs> anyway, they, they, but, were, they were a company that could have been something. And there were people throughout the years who tried. Yeah. to make it something you know especially in the later yeah. years well but, their only advantage is they had their own printing presses so but even yeah, though they're kind of schlocky I hated you know, that, but, that, that mechanical lettering they use yeah. you remember that they had that weird yes well i always lettering. remember you opened it up and there's like the little tatter at the bottom because it was almost like they're always at the beginning of a new paper roll every print exactly you know? exactly you gotta like, save every little square inch of paper like they, you can't make a nice clean cut it also seems like they use the worst paper there was just something funky yes. about their their pulp paper you know that was probably the mafia thing i don't know anyway. I, miss, I miss pulp comics there must, there must uh, be somebody today doing a comic book but they're doing there, it. there is one company that's putting out like comics that are a dollar unfortunately it's like nothing licensed and nothing anybody knows uh, I bought a few of them, you know, and they cost a dollar, and they're printed the traditional way with newsprint on the inside, glossy covers. I forgot the name of the company. I'd have to look it up. But I go, wow, if this caught traction, it might be interesting, but, you know. Anyway, All right, what um, other part of my career, my so-called career, do you want to cover? 
Well, I mean, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you're also a Monkees fan. Did you ever have a band or anything like that? Or are you more no. like a, 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 a fan than, a, you know? No, I was a fan. I've, okay, I've, re- yeah. I've recounted this a couple of times, but the, uh, yeah, famously in my life. Even Michael Ventrella had a few bands before he became a lawyer. No, so, I, but, wasn't, yeah. I wasn't. No, I, 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 all right, let me give you my quick origin of me with my love of monkeys. Uh, one day in 1966, now one day in 1966, we, we, in my house, we had a black and white TV in the living room, and we had a crummier TV in another room, but we had the black, big black and white one in the living room, and my and um, my sisters seemed, I have two sisters, and they seemed to have control over what we were going to watch on most nights. But luckily, we all liked the same things. One night, they, I wanted to watch Gilligan, as I recall. Yeah. I believe Gilligan was opposite the Monkees. The first season. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and they kind of twisted my arm because they were already watching the Monkees. And I was like, oh, some girl thing. I don't want to watch this. <laughs> I ended up watching it, and... The episode I still remember the one that I, the first one that I saw, which was the grandfather episode. So that I didn't catch it right from the beginning. That said, I still remembered. I still remember forever seeing the ads for the monkeys before they went on the air. That were the ones that were drawn by Jack Davis. Oh, remember yeah. that? Mm-hmm. And so I thought, wow, Jack Davis. I even knew the name. I said Jack Davis. I thought this is cool. But I didn't watch the show, and they they made me watch that one that episode, and and uh, I couldn't believe this show and I, I every week when I watched it I watched it from that point on I literally I remember turning around to see if anybody else was in the room with me like did you just see what I just saw because I couldn't <laughs> believe I couldn't believe this stuff my favorite thing was that episode I think it's ooh, it's the I think it's the Chinese Joey Foreman is the uh, Chinese guy um, the episode where uh, maybe it's not that one but there's an episode where um, Mickey, something happens in the show. Mickey walks off the set yes. past, right? Past yeah. the, the crew into a room where the writers are. And it's all these Chinamen smoking opium or something. Yeah. And he gets his page and he goes back to the set and they resume. And I'm like, what the fuck did I just... It's totally do? non-PC like, nowadays, but it's still, not, fun. I mean, it's still back, funny, back I hate then, to say. Back then when, 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 the, when Gidget was the normalcy you know, of TV shows, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you imagine like Ozzy and Harriet doing that? I mean, yeah. they, nobody did that kind of thing. And it was like so subversive. And yeah. also, then the, that, and of course, around that time, it was an episode where they turn into monkey men, you know, and they're right, flying right. off. And it was like, this is like a cartoon, but it's live action. I never saw anything like yeah. it. I'm like, I love this show. And I got so into the show because of, I love cartoons. So the show was like a cartoon to me. Yeah. And um, I liked the music. I got their albums. Um, I was a fan. And then, I, and then, like the rest of the world, I let it subside the second season. I'm still to this day not a big fan of the second season or no, the I second the half second of the season, second season. I know people who love it, and I can appreciate it and love yeah. it, and I can get into it as a big fan. But I prefer the original uh, premise of the show, the first season and a half where they play a rock band that's out of work. I like that premise. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but the, but so I let, you know, the monkeys had died out. 1968 rolls around. And I've told this story too, which is um, those, I saw those ads in the village voice head. I'm like, it didn't say the monkey, it just the head, you know, <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is this? And I'm 13. <laughs> and this is that a 13 was the year that I went to Manhattan by myself a lot. Yeah. 
like I went to the Comic Con. So November first or whatever date it was in November, I, I I saw two things. I saw Yellow Submarine on its first day in Manhattan and at the first theater it played it, where they gave away free submarine sandwiches. I'll never forget. <laughs> And, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, at least on the, in New York City. They, well, they never <laughs> talk about American things. I mean, I have to interrupt here, you know, and you know, yeah. submarine, they always talk about it being a flop. Well, it was a flop in, in England. It wasn't in the United States. No. But, you know, the story goes because the way where whatever England goes, the Beatles go, whatever, you know, whatever right. they say about the Beatles right. in England is what becomes the fact. And it's like... Right. No, I think it was a big hit here. <laughs> you, know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, well, on the flip side, uh, whatever day it was, the same month in November, I, well, I decided I was going to see this unusual advertised movie called Head, even though I knew literally. <laughs> again, you got to remember, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have people leaking trailers, or there wasn't right. any of this stuff. Nobody knew anything about this movie. I didn't read the sixteen magazines to hear about this upcoming monkey. I found out about that later. I just just was going to see a freaky, weird 1968 head movie. And I just went. I went like like in the middle of an afternoon. I still remember it was raining out at the one theater. It was playing in two theaters in Manhattan. And um, I walked in, and, and I think it said on the marquee as I was going in, the monkeys in head. And I'm like, the monkeys? And I like I went in, <laughs> and I, I was, here's another thing. I still remember... Back in those days, people, I always tell my students this, nobody remembers this. Back in the 60s, people only loosely paid attention to what time a movie started. Like, if it said movies, it was at one, three, four. People back then, this was, I, I was part of it. People just went into the movies whatever time they went to the movie, they got there. So yeah, I yeah. remember getting there, and, I, and, and you didn't care. The famous expression that we've all heard, that famous line, uh, this is where I came in. You've always heard yeah. somebody say that. That's yeah. based on people saying that in the movie theater because they see, oh, this is where we came in, and then they leave. Yeah. And my family used to do this all the time when I was a kid. And so I was just used to it. I came in, I, I still remember, I walked in the door, and it was the uh, uh, cheerleading scene near the beginning. Give us war, right? You know, <laughs> and uh, um, I'm sitting there waiting to see what the story is, but no story ever emerges. It goes from <laughs> one thing to another, right? And I'm like, this is like the craziest, like the same attitude I had two years earlier watching the earliest episodes of the Monkees. And I'm like, has anybody else seen so you're this? Looking behind yourself. I had the same <laughs> feeling about this movie. I said, is anybody else noticing this movie here? This is like the most insane thing I've ever seen. And it's almost like the ultimate version of the TV show, or at least the first season of the yeah. TV Now, show. how many people were in the audience? Was it a full house? Hardly or anybody. There were people... <laughs> It was the first day, so they had this like group of people. I didn't really notice the audience, to be honest. I just, oh, okay. I was, my mind was blown, and yeah. I ended up seeing it two more times when it played. About a month later, it played. Oh, I thought you just theater. sat in the theater and just kept. Watching. No, it played. <laughs> it played in Flushing Queens uh, with the Lovins. That was a uh, oh, Sam okay. Katzman hippie <laughs> picture that just yeah. ran on TCM recently, and I watched mm -hmm. it over again. Horrible movie. But um, the uh, so I got to, I, I set, went in for head, then I saw the love ins, and I watched head again, and I bought the album, which I still have when it came out, and um, and that the album because as you know it has the almost the whole soundtrack, not quite of the of the movie. That was one way for me to relive it because again, no video, no right. no, no VH, you know, we didn't have any way to see a movie again, and it took years. I wrote to um, uh, Bob Rafelson. There was an article about Bob Rafelson because he became famous later, a few years later with uh, Five Easy Pieces and King right. of Marvin Gardens. And he 
he had, there was an article about him in the Daily News in New York. And I said, you know, I'm just going to write this guy a letter and say, because he mentioned his head in the article. Oh, that was his first movie. I didn't pay attention, you know. So I wrote him a letter and he wrote me back saying, oh, don't worry, head will be around. It's not, it's, it's in the vault, you know. <laughs> that, that's all he really wrote me. But, but it was like, because I was like desperate to see it again. And I thought, how would I? And then finally, it did show up two places, at, at, mainly at the, in New York City, there was a, uh, this, this uh, repertory theater called the Elgin Cinema. And they, they brought it back and it was like, whoa. And I, anyway, I've been a fanatic for it. I was, when I started collecting 16 millimeter films. I immediately was on the outlook and immediately I lucked out and got a print of head Technicolor 16 print that I had back in the late seventies. So I was, so I was able to watch it over and over, which I, <laughs> I saw that movie so many times. And uh, so I'm a big nut on head. I have a lot of the press kits and lobby cards and, right. you know, and all the stills and all that kind of stuff. And uh, um, that's why I got to thank you. Although I think they misspelled my name on, uh, 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 Andrew Sanduval, um, uh, I, who I got to meet, uh, yeah. he, you know, he's, he married a, a, f a friend of mine. Uh, so we, I ended up meeting him and, uh, <laughs> I met him before his book came out on the monkeys, which I love. And, uh, he came over to my place and I showed him what I call him a monkey file. And he's borrowed a couple of things, just a few, he has everything, but he did yeah. borrow, I had a few things he didn't have. So he, g he gave me thanks in a couple of places, but, um, uh, that's my that's my only monkey involvement. Oh, one last thing I'll say though, uh, <laughs> last thing just to be thorough. No, me and my friend Mo Fred Velez. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say you're friends with Fred. I knew yeah, that. Fred and I met. Yeah. Fred and I met at the Elgin Cinema at the at the end of the, like the screening of of Head. We both. I was outside looking at the poster, just looking at it for a while. <laughs> and this other guy was looking at it too. And we were both looking at it. And then it, it didn't even occur to me. And I finally, I, I don't know, somehow we struck up a conversation and we became friends. That was Fred. And mm. and then Fred and I collaborated on an article that was published in Video Review Magazine somewhere before the monkeys uh, were on MTV. It was like 1984, 85, roughly. And it was an article about the monkeys and with a checklist of all the episodes. And it was the only thing like that. I think uh, I have that. Is that like a little small... It's no, no, no. video reviews. No, no, no. Video reviews, a regular uh, full size. Yeah, I, I think I have it or had I, it. I have it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I have it somewhere. And it's and it's and but when we wrote it, we were very proud because literally nobody had written publicly anywhere right. about monkeys for 10 or 15 years. And we like to think that somebody at MTV saw it and then decided to ask about it and put the monkeys back on the air. We don't know if that happened, but yeah. we'd like to think it. <laughs> we were ahead of that. Yeah. But um, and so that's my that's my only real monkey involvement. I did get to meet. I sold Peter uh, a 16 millimeter print. So, yeah, that's another thing. I ended up buying as many 16 millimeter prints of the monkeys as I could find. Just and episodes. One, episodes. Just, Some oh, of them, yeah. many of them, with the original commercials. I ended up having, and that's all. A lot of these commercials that even you see Andrew Sandelfeld plays with the at his at the concerts where uh, where it's the uh, uh, they show like the Yardley. Uh, commercial or some of the, the Rice Krispies, those come from the prints that I believe they do. I believe they come from the prints that I had way back when, and I saved them. Um, I sold Peter Tork, uh, his episode, Monkeys Mind Their Manor. I had a print of it, and I met somebody who knew Peter Tork in New York, and they said, you've got that? And so Peter Tork called me up and asked me if he could buy it from me. And I was like, how do I say no to Peter? I didn't want to sell it. But I, how do I say no to Peter Tork? I ended up, he sent me a check. I sold him for like 20 bucks or 25 bucks. Oh, wow. And he's, I still have a Xerox of the check somewhere because that's the only thing I got out of it. So that's, 
that I think I did. I meet any of the other monkeys? I met no, not really. I mean, I met Mike recently at a book signing. But, I met all of them, but that, it was just for no, timing. I saw Mike and Mickey. My dream goal. I sat next to near near Mickey, not next to near Mickey. Near Mickey at the Stan Freeberg tribute that was at the Egyptian a few years ago, and I yeah. really wanted to go over there and talk to him. I was one of the speakers, yeah. as yeah. he was, and so I thought maybe we could get talk. And I couldn't. It was just not doable. But my, my goal is, this is my goal, I'll say it publicly, I've talked to people who know him, I, I, my goal is to get him on Leonard Malton's podcast, and, and yeah. for, for this reason, yeah. and I've talked to Leonard about it, and Leonard gets it, which is, forget about the monkeys, I want to ask Mickey completely about Circus Boy, Circus Boy. <laughs> and his father, his father was a big movie star in yeah. the 40s, and Circus Boy, he worked with Sterling Holloway, he, if you look at who was on Circus Boy, he worked with everybody, yes, and it's yes. like no one's ever asked him about that. I'd love yeah. to see that interview. You know? Yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I thanks. think they kind of delved in it a little bit when Mickey was on uh, uh, Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, but still, they were a little bit kind of raw, raw, raw monkey stands too. You know, Mickey has dropped a lot of hints. I call them hints uh, in a lot of his interviews, talking about that past. Like one could actually go through every interview he ever did and actually compile some version of what I'm looking for. But my favorite one, and I forgot where this was, it might've been in his book, um, where he talks about when he went on, uh, when he was on the, um, the Columbia Ranch, which is now Warner Brothers uh, lot on, uh, on Hollywood Way in Burbank. It's where the Warner Brothers cartoons studio is now. Um, the, um, and that's where they filmed, that's where all those famous, that street with the Partridge Family House and the Bewitched House and- right. And all that stuff is still there right now. And, um, but he, he says in one of his, his interviews when he went, was doing the monkeys that he was, he had this relationship with the guard at the gate because he was the same guy who was the guard when he was doing circus work. <laughs> that was filmed there too. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I love that. I mean, it's like, wow. You know, it's like he was the only one. He had a history. Mm-hmm. I find that all fascinating, you know, how yeah. they came together and uh, all their different reactions to that situation of being the monkeys is, is very interesting to me now since you generally know about like animation you know the hang-ups and whatever of getting things released yeah is there one about circus boy that is preventing that from being released because i mean you could market it as before yeah. he was a monkey you yeah. know and, and and i i think people would buy it i don't know if I know. columbia cares are they the ones they that are that's probably the enough. bottom line is they don't care but they do care enough that i believe they restored them right weren't they yeah well they restored everything i thought they re- went one year and yeah. restored like the trailers right. and everything they that right. they ever did right. the newsreels and everything right. or whatever you know and so it just seems like a no-brainer unless they don't have the rights well to that's do it that's been the problem they, as you just said they restored I'm a big nut for the old movie serials. They restored the movie serials. They restored the scrappy cartoons. They've restored everything. And, but the problem is the people who do the restoration do it because it's shining up and keeping their assets available for, in right. theory, someone in some other part of the company who's going to sell it somewhere and do something with it. The problem is nobody at the other part of the company is doing anything with it. That's the problem. That, that's so weird. See, I, I always said this, you know, it's like, if I was running some sort of movie studio, example, it doesn't matter. And I found out John Wayne did one film for my studio, but it was a terrible sucky movie he did when he was, you know, really young or something. Right. I put that thing out day one, that's, you know, it's the, like John that, Wayne. 
that's this, the, you know, it's like, look, you know, you, and I do it with, I happen Dillon. to be, again, I don't mean to be, I'm not going to go off on these tangents, but yeah, one of yeah. my other very, one of my other things I've never written about or talk about is I'm a nut for B Westerns from the old days. That's a thing with me. And you just described exactly what happened at Warner Brothers. And you probably know this, that Leon Schlesinger produced, I think it was six John Wayne B Westerns yeah, in 1934, 35. <laughs> And Warner Brothers owns them. And if you ever see any of the movies from the 30s that John Wayne's in, they all look like crap. But yeah, Warner yeah. Brothers, to their credit, a bunch of years ago, restored all the Leon Schlesinger, John Wayne B. Westerns. And they're out. They're on DVD. They're, I don't know if they're on Blu-ray, but they're, okay. they're, they're easily – and they're on TCM. They look great. You know, Those were actually his first starring uh, Westerns, believe it or not. People don't – I mean, he starred in some other th- – uh, well, it gets complicated. Right, right. But, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, so, you know, I I, I wouldn't say that uh, Circus Boy would have been a high priority, but no. after 40 years of reunions or 30 years of reunions and the monkeys are still viable in 2020, putting out a live album and, and the two are still touring and stuff like that, you know, you think, you know, maybe we could put, this out as a special set and get mickey to do some commentaries you know (laughs) you you would think but as you know i have a a whole other career with trying to convince studios to do stuff with their assets i call yeah well i I know you said on stew show once you said like animation's like the bottom of the barrel so is tv like one notch above and it's like yeah okay (laughs) one notch above one notch above yeah okay so i'd almost say it's it's a it could be like this because because at least the cartoons are in color. Yeah. See, that gives them some, I mean, I mean, the ones that are in color, that gives them some viability. Whereas TV shows could be in black and white, which is a notch down. And if it's, a, you know, there was one year I mentioned, I think I mentioned this on Stu's show actually recently, but, yeah. but uh, there was one year about, oh my God, probably 20 years ago where um, <clears throat> that uh, I had cable, we all have cable, cable TV, and I had uh, um, uh, WGN from Chicago and there was a law so I did talk about this on Sue and somebody wrote in to correct what I'm saying here exactly but there was a law that you couldn't like if if Cheers if I, let me see if I have this right if Cheers was on in our market here in LA like on Channel 9 but they were running it on Superstation WGN yeah. they had to by law change it if it was playing if WGN was being you know uh, on cable TV and you could see it in LA they had to change it so that they had to mask that half hour with something else. Yeah. So you what happened yeah. is, but so what happened was, um, oh my God, it was it was glorious. They got a package from NBC or something like that. It was it was a bunch of old NBC and Republic owned TV shows, and it was stuff like Pete and Gladys, Captain Nice, yeah. My yeah. World, and Welcome to It. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember the ones that I was watching, but it was like a Suddenly, in 20 years ago, there was this little golden age of these shows nobody saw, except we yeah. saw them, you know, like, wow, you know, that when they were running the, in those, in the beautiful Cheers time slot. I'm like, wow, this is great stuff. Anyway, I forgot what Well, I mean, I is that the same problem? Like, yeah. you know, I don't know if Columbia is streaming anything right now, because I don't know all the rules, but, you know, it's like... Uh, no, Columbia's an oddity, because they're not, you know, Sony, they're owned by Sony, they're not part of peacock or 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 this or that you know HBO yeah, because it, it just seems weird it's like like even disney plus which i think yeah. they've done pretty well but 
I think of all the years, Greg Airbar was on the last episode, we were talking about all the anthology episodes that just have, they've never right. come out on video. They might have come out on tape, but, you know, they haven't come out on DVD. They're not on Blu-ray, but, and they were on Disney Channel 30 years ago. And then they're just kind of there. And he was saying, well, a lot of them have to be remastered. But then I have a few that have been remastered, and they're still not putting them on there. And I, and, right. I, and it's like, it can't be that only Mandalorian and uh, Hancock fans are buying this ch channel. You know, I didn't. Well, buy it I, I, ye, yeah. ye of, maybe I'm wrong, but I like to say ye of little faith. What I mean is all my Warner Brothers cartoons. I mean, look, my attitude is they're going to put the, more of the old Warner cartoons on. Because uh, they've got to be searching for product. I mean, that's that. Yeah. Even Disney could like sublease like, yeah. using the, Circus the, the Boy problem is, again and say, "Oh, we're going to put Circus Boy on Disney Plus." No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm old enough to have seen this happen. This problem happen uh, two or three times. And the problem is, unfortunately, the audience's expectations. What I mean by that is this: uh, I remember this being this way at, at, with VHS, and then later with DVD, and and now it's with the streaming services. Everybody expects everything immediately. Now, if we're up to me, you'd have everything immediately. But everybody expects it. They never put all this stuff out immediately. It takes, sometimes takes years, but they eventually do it. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I still remember when VHS happened, people kept saying, actually, they had the, other, they had the flip side. There was a perception that everything was out on VHS at one point. And people like me would go, well, no, that's not available. That's rare. <laughs> I'd be telling people, you know, you're talking about a film that you think it's out, but it's not. Yeah, and yeah. then the flip side, I think with DVD, there was suddenly this, this fandom for everything where everybody wanted it right away. And I get that. I'm there too. But yeah. they don't do that. And I, but I believe they will. I, I, I really do. I, I just, maybe I'm stupid. I just believe that they really, <laughs> they really will put out this stuff eventually. Yeah. They, but they I mean, using Disney Plus as an example, it's like, you know, I'm always sent, I think it's a guy, I might be pronouncing his name wrong, but he's a Facebook guy. I think he knows you too, Antonio Marks or something like that. And he always CCs me Disney Plus stuff, the new stuff coming out. And it, invariably, it's like another National Geographic documentary, another Marvel thing, another Muppet thing. And it's like, uh, can't you kind of throw, like I have, and this is the one I was telling Greg Erbar, I have... Uh, the Scarecrow of Romney Marsh from the Disney Movie Club on Blu-ray. So I know that's been remastered. Right. It's not on Disney Plus. Why right. not? It could take two seconds to throw it on there for no. Halloween. You know, it's right. like you know, it's like. By the way, they, it looks to me that some of the some of the uh, redos uh, remasterings are better than I've ever seen them before. Oh, yeah. on a couple of things that I've seen that I've like, noticed this on one is like watch Treasure Island. It's like whoa, they really? like you know it's like it's daytime it's not right. like this muddy piece of shit like it looked right. forever <laughs> right i mean and... i mean i'm a i'm a nut for melody time and the melody time print on that channel is the best and i'm not a big fan of sword in the stone but it looks amazing yeah. on that disney channel all the it's cartoons look person. really good I, they yeah. added trick-or-treat the little short with donald yeah. duck and whoa you know yeah. it's like a, a brand new cartoon you know it's right. like you know I granted they do computer coloring corrections and you don't see the brush strokes anymore. I get it, you know, but it's like, and, and I'm the, I'm probably the only, they haven't put on, uh, I am, I have a mental problem that I grew up with. I was the right age and I, I, and I, I know how bad it is, but uh, I'm a fan of the two Merlin Jones movies. Yes. And 
They don't. Those aren't on. Uh, I know. But yet the the Disney Movie Club put them out. Yeah, and they're on, they're on DVD. They're not too bad. I mean, it's oh, like I don't DVD know how much they're, remastering. But they're that, not on, that, but they're that not. technology. I don't know. It's like how much remastering needs to be done if it looks pretty sharp on the DVD to put it on streaming. I mean, does it have to be yeah, I think 1080 or whatever for it to be HP I, or I think, HD or whatever? I think there is, but I'm again, I'm not the biggest expert on that either. People think I am, but I'm not. I I think you, uh, I think, you, yeah, there is. They, they, they're also, when they remaster stuff, at least my friends at Warner Brothers, what they're trying to do is they're trying to look at, they're trying to go one step ahead. They're trying to remaster stuff for whatever the next, the next G that's, yeah. you know, the next thing that's going to come up for it. That's what they're doing. They did that. They actually did that a long time ago. That's why stuff is available now because they actually remastered stuff 10 years ago okay. that is perfect for now. But and the new stuff they're doing, they're trying yeah. to do it. Even now, more. I'm going to ask a Stu-type question, but it, okay. it's actually one that's... Because he doesn't care about anything in the 70s or later on anything, it seems. No. <laughs> no. Anyway, but um, for a while there, Warner Archives uh, was kind of issuing, just kind of haphazardly and randomly, just any old Hanna-Barbera cartoon show from the 70s, 80s, or 90s, you know, or whatever. So you'd get Roman Holidays, you'd get uh, Chan Clan, you'd get, you know, all this bullshit, crap shit. But I have a fondness for it because I was a little kid at the time and I wanted to see it. And so there's a few that are just like not out, you know. And is there a reason for it? They just haven't got to it well, yet. Like, like those were the days is one. It's a yeah. Holmes type of thing, you know. And it's yeah. like, I never watched it as a kid. I thought it sucked. But I'm kind of curious to see it now, you know. So, yeah. Um... So is there a chance that these... Missing well, ones will be put out there. Well, there's a chance. Um, the the <laughs> it the I look. I'm not the biggest expert on that. I had nothing to do with any of those except I I learned that the reason a lot of these random Hanna Barbera shows came out on DVD or whatever format is because uh, they were remastered for Europe, and so thus somebody in Europe or the the the, the whole company in Europe paid the money to remaster it and thus it cost them no money to put it out here and that's why they did it those were the days nobody had oh, done that one why, okay why why i was able to get them to put out not that anybody cares that i will well, never that, that, i was going to ask about that so about johnny cypher and dimension yes. zero they look beautiful if you've looked at it they are remastered because they somebody in europe the europe warner brothers got an order to do it. They spent the money. They did it. So it cost them no money. And I, believe me, it took me years to say, look, it'll cost you no money. It's already done. And they, they just did it at the, you know, they, at the end of the rope here, they, they, they just did it to get me to stop talking about it. I really want them to put out the... Well, uh, are there other things like that? Or can yeah, you not name but, show names? Well, that, no, they, there's uh, things uh, like Shows that. that are remastered that they could put out, but they don't. Another one, another one that you may not care about that that they did remaster and then didn't put it out for years. I bugged them about. It. I'm not taking any full credit here, but I like Johnny Cipher. I was like, why don't you put this out? And that's Marine Boy, <laughs> whatever you think of it. But the thing is, that's beautiful. <laughs> if you look at the uh, copies of it, but they remastered that and they couldn't care less about putting that out. When they started doing um, Warner Archives, they're a little more open to putting out stuff if it's sitting there and it's not going to cost them any money they're interested they would yeah, have so is it, i guess my main question without revealing everything because i'm not going to i don't have anything to do this, is is there a bunch of stuff that's just sitting there you know that they could put out because it's been remastered but they don't because they're just 
because it seems to you know, me I, I with a Warner Archives, if it's done, it, it's all print on demand, as it were. Right. So if, if nobody buys it, it's no great loss. I mean, right? You know, that's the, the, that's the Johnny Cipher story. You're, you're yeah. Yeah, the, but um, they got one sale. I did buy the thing. So oh, good. Oh, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> I justified the existence. You justified of the entire production. And it wasn't that bad. I'll admit. No. I don't know why you like it so much, but it's, it's not funny. That bad. I like it from the flip side. I, it's hilarious to me. That's what I like. It. In fact, and Sid, by the way, wrote many of them, as you may yeah, know. Yeah. The and that um, was the reason I I took a chance on it because I vaguely remember it as a kid. Barely. Oh, I I didn't grow up. It didn't even play in New York. Yeah. I didn't. Even, I saw it later, and I couldn't believe it. It's like, but, oh my god, I can't believe they. Anyway, I still can't believe that show. I don't know. In New York, did you have a Kaiser Television station? No. Oh, okay. Good. No. Well, you might know. I. I don't, when did you move to L.A.? Eighty-six. Oh, okay. So that's a long time later. No, See, from seventy-three to seventy-six, I lived in Palos Verdes, and they had a Kaiser station, Channel Fifty-Two. Um, and they used to play stuff like that. They played the bizarrest stuff. And they, and there was a similar one, which I eventually worked at later when Kaiser wasn't owning it, called Channel 44 in San Francisco, KBHK. And, mm -hmm. But all these Kaiser stations, when they ran it, it, they would run all the same shows on all their stations. So you get Three Stooges, you get Speed Racer, you get Little Rascals. Right. You'd get a Johnny Cypher, uh, Huck and Yogi Casper, Popeye. You know, I can rattle them off because they played them – the whole time I lived down there, you know, and it's like, and then when I moved back to uh, Bay Area, San Francisco area, it, they played all the same stuff too, but I couldn't get right. Channel 44 as well. So, right. you know, because pre-cable. So it's like, you know, but, you know, that's where I saw a lot of that stuff. Oh, my God. Yeah, anyway. yeah those are the days. But, well, but you the, didn't have a, a, a station equivalent like that in New York then. Well, well we, didn't have like, that. we didn't have that one. We had we had Channel 5, WNEW. We had okay. uh, WPIX. Uh, channel 11 those were the two biggies and then we had channel 9 which played all the weirder stuff they were an rko station not okay. kaiser they were rko and um um those were the three between those three and that and being in the biggest market we got mostly everything i mean i johnny cypher is one of the few shows that, that i believe never played but I, I i'd be hard pressed to pick another name another show i can think of a lot of junk that played now we did have also uhf stations yeah. that were like out in the boonies or New Jersey <laughs> or out way out in Long Island. And they played a lot more weirdo stuff, but somehow we could see everything. We even had in New York, a, um, we had some Japanese channels on, on UHF back in the seventies that ran like, like, uh, you know, uh, the giant robot shows from that time in Japanese. Oh, and that's like how a lot of us space giants and yeah, a little uh, stuff like um, Ultraman and <laughs> Ultraman, um, uh, go Ranger, the original, you know, uh, the, um, uh, I want to say, like, not the Transformers, but, you know, uh, uh, those giant robots. I forgot the name now. Oh, Space so, Giants. Yeah. Just, no, well. Well, know, the last one I know, like, it had Goldar and Silbar and, you know, whatever. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Mazinga, like Mazinga yeah, Z, yeah. right? Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, the, anyway, we had, we had, like, everything you could think of was, was in New York for the most part. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, we didn't have any specific horrible local channel that ran all the weirdo stuff it's like they all went ran weirdo stuff they ran them at <laughs> six in the morning and 5 yeah. 30 in the morning and uh, it was a golden age of junk that's yeah. no wonder that's why i ended up doing that cartoon dump show that's why i collected that stuff 
I, I've always collected those films on 16. I, I'm surprised for Cartoon Dump. You found things I never saw because, yeah, I would seek out the weirdest stuff on TV. Well, I mean, I was, like, literally, you know. I was literally seeking – well, actually, that comes, as you know, that comes out of my worst cartoons ever shows that I right. was doing in San yeah. Diego. And, th- and so thus I spent a few years – I already had my own collection, but then – after doing it a year, two years, three years, I suddenly started going over to my friends and saying, well, do you have anything that's really bad? I mean, like, like funny bad, you know? And people would haul out these things that I never heard of or nobody ever heard of. Sometimes they were pilots. Um, unbelievably, they had them, you know? Uh, you know, there were pilot shows that were, uh, the Mummy Nappers is one that comes to mind that I showed that's all silhouettes. It's yeah. silhouettes of humans against cartoon backgrounds. It was never, it was just one episode. I have it. And, uh, um, of course, uh, there's something called, um, um, uh, what was it called? Bat, um, ooh, I'm forgetting the name of it. It's, it's not a Batman thing. It was more of a Bat Masterson thing. Bat, oh, I forgot the name of it now. But the, um, I mean, just incredible, weird stuff that, I think I hit the ceiling on that, though. I kind of exhausted everybody's, uh, I'm still looking for bad things, if anybody, yeah. you know. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Jerry Beck, for being my special guest. Episode number 91 with part two of this interview will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2020, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Don't fall back Don't fall back Don't fall back